Welcome to Prairie Design Lab. Today, in episode 28, we take a 30-year trip deep into the warehouse. The warehouse journal, that is. It's an annual exploration of contemporary architecture and design by University of Manitoba students. A new edition is created each year by a new editorial team of the University of Manitoba students. In a moment, we'll meet four warehouse journal editors, past and present. Prairie Design Lab is a podcast created with the help of the graduates, students, faculty, and allies of the University of Manitoba Faculty of Architecture. Since 1919, home to one of the most experienced, creative, and storied architecture schools in Canada. Late this fall, the 30th edition of the Warehouse Journal will be published. It's already in production under the careful editorship of Teresa Lyons and Chelsea Coburn, and they're both here now. Hello, you two. Hello. And Hi, Barry. the 29th edition came out last fall, and Nicola Basford was one of three editors of that edition. She's here too. Hello, Nicola. Hello. And the first edition came out in 1992, and Tony Zetta was the designer and a member of the editorial team that first year. Hello, Tony, and welcome back to the lab. Thanks, Terry. You were with us in late November on episode eight called Remote. Nice to have you back again. Teresa, Chelsea, and Nicola join us from Winnipeg, and Tony's with us from Whitehorse, Yukon. I have a question for you, Teresa, to begin. Those outside of the Faculty of Architecture here in Winnipeg, they might not know about the Warehouse Journal. I described it as an annual exploration of contemporary architecture and design, but I have to say that kind of feels insufficient. How do you describe it, Teresa? I think that the biggest part of Warehouse is that it is a student publication. It's by students and for students. And it's also a really powerful tool because it connects all of these alumni and future students and current students. So it also has this linkage as a publication within that context. What it is, if you reduce it from that context, it is a book that has all of this work from within the Faculty of Architecture. So all of the different streams, so it's interdisciplinary and it's put together to showcase all of these different works and their strengths. And each year it is curated under a different category or topic. So for example, Warehouse Journal 30 is gonna focus on reflection and adaptation. So with that curatorial vision, the editors, the student editors go through all of these works that are submitted and curate this book that really tells the story of the faculty for that year, students in the faculty. Tony, what led to the creation of Warehouse back in 1992? <laughs> To be honest with you, I think um, probably was an effort to not work on my studio stuff. You know, I was a graduate student and teaching part-time and I was working on my thesis and, you know, looking for any distraction that came my way so I could be pulled away from that work. And so, yeah, it took me a little bit longer to get done, but it filled my time with things like this. You know, there had been a lot of talk in my time about a publication that reflected the student's work. And that was a regular publication. And just looking back at the original warehouse, there was a, a reference in the introduction to what had been created back in the 50s and 60s called Perspectives, which was a student-run publication that collected the works of students over the years from all the different departments and put them together into one document. And, you know, we thought there had been like a dearth of this kind of publication in the faculty for such a long time. We figured that uh, naively, by the way, that we would, a small group of us, try to, to create something that would have a lasting legacy. 
it would appear that you've done that. Yeah, obviously 30 years ago. And who would have thought 30 years? That's a long time to look back for me, but certainly I've been impressed with the ever-increasing quality of the publication and that the students in the Faculty of Architecture have stuck with it to produce something that I think really captures the essence of what's happening every year in the different departments. What kind of a challenge was it back in 92 to create a new journal that reflected the new reality of U of M back then in 92? It was really kind of an organic process because we really didn't have a clue what we were doing. I mean, some of us had experience or talents in graphic design. We knew that there was work that we, we wanted to represent but back then in 1992, the technology we had back then was pretty advanced, obviously, for the time, but it's certainly nothing like what we have at our disposal today. And it wasn't like we were asking people to submit things digitally because we were actually taking photographs of things and then converting those into images that were then you know, put together in a program called Quark Express. And it was a, a very much a hands-on thing. And we had to spend a lot of time just going and connecting with all the students in all the different departments, because we were starting from zero. That was definitely a lot of work. Nicola Bassford, what made you want to be one of the editors of Warehouse 29 last year's? Warehouse is such a wonderful opportunity to learn from fellow students. And I take probably more interest in my peers' projects than my own. So to have a role where I could spend my summer flipping through the work of my peers and learning from them was a huge draw. And then on top of that, I was able to work with two of my close friends and, and then to create in design school. So much of what we do is so conceptual and we never really see the final product, but in this, it was an opportunity to put our efforts into something and have a physical outcome, which was very special. In what way did you define the theme for number 29? It's funny uh, hearing Tony talk about how it was back then. For the theme of ours, we just wanted to celebrate the thing that we find most special about the University of Manitoba, which is the heavy emphasis on a developed body of process work to inform the final outcome. And so we wanted to celebrate all of the breadth of work that goes into a final project and show the beauty in the process sketches and in the sketch models and, and the rough work that comes before the final image. Chelsea, in the application that you and Teresa made to become the editors of the 30th edition, you set a very ambitious goal. You decided to examine all the editions that came before number 30 and analyze and reflect on the legacy of what preceded you. <laughs> Why did you decide to take that approach? <laughs> Um, great question. No, um, when Teresa and I were creating our proposal, we really wanted to take the year 30, just embrace it with open arms. And we were like, how, what is the best way to do this? And I think that we're just going to start with a really large goal of reflecting on the past 30 years. And we think it's important because the past editions have been just very, like Nicola was saying, focused on one topic, whether that being process. Um, or different aspects of the design. But with this milestone edition, just as Tony was just saying, the programs, the way of working within the faculty has changed and adapted so much, especially with this year two work being reflected upon had being done in isolation this last year. We just really want to celebrate and acknowledge the Faculty of Architecture's resiliency throughout the past 30 years. And whether we look at all 30 years or just some points along the way, we think it is important to really reference 
um, everything that has happened and kind of looking towards the future and how great the design world is continuing to be. These are vast books that you people publish. Nikolai, have a copy of yours here, number 29. A huge and weighty book, 9 by 12 inches, weighing about 4 pounds, having 285 pages, in full color, printed at Friesen's in Altona, an ultra-high quality paper with a gorgeous sheen. It includes photos and descriptions of 105 projects. What's the purpose of producing such an imposing and, dare I say, glamorous book? Thank you very much. The purpose is that I think for most of us, we're introduced to Warehouse in the early years of our education. And as Teresa was saying, it's by the students, first and foremost for the students and to display the work in a way in which students in the middle of a project can crack open the book to the middle and find inspiration to get them through the walls that we inevitably hit. That is the purpose in my opinion. And it's nice if it looks good too. What's the range of content in number 29, Nicola? So the book is organized by four chapters, which include undergraduate work from the Department of Architecture, Landscape and Urbanism, and Interior Environments. And then there is a final chapter that focuses on thesis and practicum work. So what did it take to curate all the entries? You published an amazing 105 of them. That's a lot of work. I was very lucky to have two wonderful co-editors and it was just endless hours looking through all the submissions and trying to select projects that reflected the theme that we had chosen well and, and that we didn't have to alter the way that we were displaying the work, that the work fit into the chapters that we had decided on pretty naturally. And then it's just many, many revisions as you try and format a project in a way that celebrates its best attributes. What criteria did you have for choosing stuff that would go in to number 29 and not go in? We had two main goals, I suppose. One being to find the projects which had beautiful images from the entire development of a project. We weren't just looking for the final image. We were looking for really rich images from the entire process. The other thing that's really important in warehouse is having an even distribution of the departments in our faculty. And so you don't want a book that's just privileging the department that you come from. Tony, you just heard me describe the glamorous number 29. What was your edition like? Well, I would say it was a more conventional format. What I noticed is with warehouse, they adopted the smaller format, but added a lot more pages. And I quite like the new small format. It, it feels like a little box that you can carry around. Back then, we were limited in a format that we could uh, use because back then, even though we were using computers, the majority of products were actually compared by hand. People were actually drawing things and mounting them on boards that had to be photographed. Back then, people did a lot of drawing. Uh, those were mounted onto boards that were photographed, and the vertical format seemed to lend itself better to capturing that work. It also meant that if we stayed to a regular format, it would be a, a less expensive printing process. And back then, securing the funds to print that first issue was definitely a challenge. I think we kept things pretty straightforward, and, and it's been great to see how the actual publication and the graphic design of that document has evolved over the last 30 years. What about the aesthetics of yours? Was it printed on newsprint? Uh, I noticed it was spiral bound. You know, there's not a lot of color. Uh, I don't even think that. Let me just think back here. 
There is no color in that. It's all black and white. So we didn't have the luxury of color uh, because of cost. But we did spend a lot of time, because that was laid out on a computer, spent a lot of time with the graphic design. And it was mostly just me doing the graphic design. I had Greg Kilo, who was the editor-in-chief, but he mostly focused on the recruitment of the work. And then I focused on the editing and the writing. It was something I was doing on the side of my desk because I was actually trying to get my uh, thesis complete. But certainly I spent many long nights, as I think all the other people who've joined us here can attest to. Um, These are labors of love. And you're representing a lot of people's work. And you, you feel very sensitive to trying to do that properly. Nicola, you mentioned in the introduction to Warehouse 29, the impact at just the beginning of COVID then. But this is a question for Teresa and Chelsea. Since you were... And we are still in COVID now. And so much of the past warehouse journals have depended on student studios from places such as Istanbul, Greece, Guatemala, Iceland, South Korea, Japan. In what way will the studios be reflected in Warehouse 30? That's really part of this um, like continuum of change and adaptation, very much like the studios have been impacted and all the work is being done by home. So that just in itself is going to be reflected in the pages. I think generally every studio has accomplished this in different ways because yes, usually international trips are a really big part of studios. I know this year a lot of things have stayed closer to home um, or have gone the complete opposite way. Like studios have done things like hypothetically on Mars or (laughs) in Winnipeg. Like you kind of go one way or the other. I think that it'll be interesting to feature projects in this upcoming edition that has been done in isolation, but has the project itself taking part in a different area of the world. For example, the studio that I had just partaken, it was located in Kenora, Ontario. So a lot of our fellow classmates didn't get to go to their site. So it'll be really interesting to see how students that have had these similar experiences throughout this year have analyzed a site and analyzed a project and worked through a project where they had never been to the physical location. And I think that the work that has come from those experiences will be quite dynamic. And from what I've seen so far have been very successful. Nicola, number 29 reflects a lot of studios focused on indigenous values and and projects, particularly in the Show Lake area on the border between Ontario and Manitoba. A couple really struck me, living with zebra mussels, I found really intriguing. I mean, zebra mussels are such a problem And Nicole Nicole Breckelmans Breckelmans came up with this idea about how to capture zebra mussels. I grew up in PEI. They farm a lot of mussels there in the very same way that Nicole described persuading the zebra mussels, which are really an invasive species, to grow on these lines suspended in the lake and then take them out and compost them. What a brilliant idea. It was a fantastic project. I also really liked the Nibby studio from Danielle Desjarlais. Describe that one for us. It was a really comprehensive one. She was working with Sean Bailey, who is the Indigenous scholar at the University of Manitoba. I believe she was designing a kind of community space for the Shoal Lake 40 community. The project's really beautiful. She incorporates a lot of references to the process of building a canoe. And if you look at the project, a lot of the final renderings, you can see the organic forms coming through. The process sketches were absolutely beautiful too, which was nice for us. Teresa, for the students who've not yet submitted for number 30, what's your deadline for submissions? 
Um, May 14th is our general deadline and then the thesis deadline because they have thesis and practicum students have a slightly different school timeline. So theirs are due in mid-June. And so Chelsea, what do they have to submit to you in order to be evaluated for inclusion? So what we're looking for is just a packaged InDesign file, which is funny. Again, as Tony was saying that he was going around and taking pictures of work to include in his proposal and now we're moving completely digital so adobe program in design just a packaged folder of process to final work models and for instructor work any research we're looking to just accept all work that'll show a diverse range within the faculties um, as long as it's digital anything will be accepted and looked over including from alumni, I think, because as part of Warehouse Journal 30, it's important to really talk about that continuum of work and how alumni and the design community, both locally and throughout Canada and wherever else UM grads have ended up, um, is also included. Can you two give us any kind of a hint as to stuff that has already been given the thumbs up? Nothing has been submitted yet because... (laughs) It's this is review week right now. So everyone is in the middle of like all the all-nighters and the hours of coffee and everything. So I think once people have a chance to take a breath from that and finish their final portfolios for submission, then they will submit to Warehouse. Uh, we just put out the call for submissions just on our Instagram. Haven't sent a, an official email yet because everyone is in grind mode with their final presentations. So um, no hints just yet, but we may throw up some sneak peeks on our Instagram in the coming weeks. I noticed that in some of the editions of Warehouse, instructors and professors have work included. Why is that? I thought it was all for students. I think that's part of really talking about the entire faculty as much as it is the students. It's also very much all of the things that influence us. And when we talk about the journal as a pedagogical tool, like Nicola was saying, how people will pick it up in the middle of a project when they're stuck, for example, I think having the entire faculty, including some instructors mentioned throughout that makes it stronger. Tony, in number one, you published two projects about affordable housing and two projects in what later became Nunavut, including a project involving uh, I We Took National Park and a project called Artifact X. Uh, it's interesting because those are topics that are current today as well, uh, certainly the affordable housing one. But uh, I live in the north, so I would argue that uh, Southerners always have a fascination with the uh, with Canadian high north. For architecture students, it always presents you know an exotic location within our country that we know very little about. We certainly, as architects, particularly during the pandemic, I think uh, really like the idea of remote locations because we can't physically travel to them. So at least we can think about doing work in a place that we can't get to. And hopefully at some point soon, we can go back to traveling. I think it'll be a different world when we do. I was especially thrilled to see the IUE took National Park proposal because uh, I spent some time in Pangnertung and you can see IUE took park from Pangnertung on Baffin Island. Those mountains in IUE took park are like Switzerland mountains. They are really impressive. And that project for, I think, for the interpretive center for that park was really spectacular. Some people might be listening to this wondering what book editing and book writing might have to do with architecture. But back in episode 13 that uh, I called HOF, I spoke with a U of M grad, Ainsley Johnson, you might even know her, and she was in the process of moving from Frankfurt to Basel to work with Herzog and Demiron as a proposal writer. What does writing have to do with a successful architecture practice? 
throughout our education, it's become quite clear that um, to be able to speak and and write clearly about your work is a huge asset. And uh, Teresa, Chelsea, what do you think of that? Most of our studio course is dependent on what we call reviews, which is when we get up in front of some critics and speak about our work when in person you wouldn't have any notes in front of you and then you're required to take all of that work that you had just shown in reviews that you just spoke about in hopefully a poetic way and translate it to this portfolio which is a written document so I think that speaking and then being able to reflect and write about it critically is how people will understand your project in the best way. And I think even moving forward into professional practice, selling your design and speaking critically and clearly about your design to the client is what, in the end, if you're um, going to try to pursue your career as an architect, is what is most important. Even in like design studios, I think, especially in the earlier years, so it's so easy to have all of these beautiful, wonderful ideas in your head and have a really hard time getting them out there and communicating them to your instructor, to your peers, to yeah, your critics at reviews. Like it's such a very important skill to be able to communicate those ideas that you have. Tony, you've had a couple of decades now of practice. How important is the capacity to articulate in language and in visuals what it is the project is going to be for, for clients who are hiring you? I cannot stress enough the value still of the written word. One of my pet peeves with students that come and work for our office is their inability to articulate uh, things in writing. And I think some of this is something you, uh, you learn over time. I do think that we have to be training uh, young architects to be able to communicate effectively. And I think, I'll speak from just my observations, I think there's less emphasis on the written word these days than there is on the, the strength of an image. And I think it's so easy with the software available to create these images that are quite seductive, but not be able to articulate uh, exactly what is being captured in that image. I'm old school. I take great value in the written word, and I spend a lot of time editing a lot of the things that come out of our office because I think it needs to be clear and articulate. And without the written word, the image is kind of lost and not grounded. We can't lose sight of the, the still the relevance of, of writing things clearly, but also being able to speak and articulate them to a client. What impact does being included in a warehouse journal have on the students who contribute to the warehouse journals? Do potential clients phone them and say, I loved your project and I want to hire you? Or do they launch careers based on this? Do, do they get admission to the Bartlett in London because of what they did in uh, the warehouse? I think all we really wanted to do is to capture the spirit and the essence and the people of that year and just record it and record it for future uh, generations, uh, be able to look back and understand what was happening in the faculty in that period of time, and also to connect back with people and to see where they started out. I saw the journal as that type of vehicle, and that's partly why we came up with a name that we gave it is... Um, it was a, a repository for the work that was being produced in the faculty. Tony, you have a very busy practice in Whitehorse. In what way would you say your practice was influenced by your time at University of Manitoba and maybe even with Warehouse? Oh, my God. Where do you start? 
I think I have a bit of a unique uh, relationship is because I was grew up in Winnipeg and this is not known to too many people, but my dad was the caretaker in the architecture faculty when I was a little boy. And so I spent many Saturday afternoons when all of the students were hung over and away from the studio playing with all their models. And so my relationship there uh, spans many decades. And when I was a student, became a student, uh, it took me uh, longer than most people to finish because I had so much fun there experiencing all of what that faculty had to offer. And I think one of the strengths of our school is that we have all these other departments that share the same faculty. And we, you know, I learned so much from the, the people in landscape architecture and in city planning. And I think those inputs help to create the architect that I become. I give credit all to that time I spent um, most of it in Manitoba and to the faculty. Nicola, Chelsea, Teresa, where do your architectural pursuits stand now? What's next for you? Nicola first. Um, I will be taking a year off before I hope to go back and do a master's um, in architecture. And I aspire to learn a lot over the next years and hope to end up doing work that I can feel proud of that's public-minded. And Teresa, what about you? When you look ahead, what do you see for yourself? Immediate future, a lot of editing, warehouse, journal 30. <laughs> but um, longer term, in the fall, we'll be returning to the U of M for my Master's of Architecture, as I've had just so many really wonderful experiences. And even as how Tony just put it, he still refers to it as our school, which I think is really lovely and speaks to the sentiment that it is like very tight-knit community and there is so many wonderful opportunities like for example warehouse and so yeah I just really stand by the U of M and my plan is to just keep absorbing all of the wonderful experiences that it has to offer and kind of taking advantage of all the really amazing things. And Chelsea, what's your goal? What are you thinking about, aside from finishing Warehouse 30? Finishing Warehouse 30, uh, top of my list. And then um, just as Teresa said, I will be also moving on in the fall to do my master's at U of M. I have nothing but great things to say about the program. Tony Zeta, what's next for you? Do you want to come back and edit Warehouse 31? I don't think I would take on that entire responsibility, but certainly uh, to participate. I'm terribly busy right now, and I'm, I'm trying to find this balance. I have young children, and um, COVID has only made things more complicated and busy for us. So I, I feel like I'm in a period of uh, turmoil right now just because there's so many different things going around in the world, uh, and we're just trying to um, adapt as best we can. We've got a really good team here of you know 16 staff, and I think we've held pretty well during COVID, but... Uh, I think we'll see what happens in the next uh, next little while. Thanks so much to all of you to take this time out of your obviously really busy schedules. Prairie Design Lab is grateful. The listener will be grateful. Congratulations to all of you. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank, you so much. Thank you so much. Take good care. Bye, Terry. Okay. Have Bye. A good Bye. 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 We had many visitors to the lab in today's episode. Teresa Lyons and Chelsea Coburn were here. They are editors of the 30th edition of the Warehouse Journal to be published in the fall of 2021. Nicola Bassford, one of the three editors of the 29th edition of Warehouse, which was published in the fall of 2020, also joined us. All three were in Winnipeg. Tony Zeta's edition came out 29 years ago. He was the designer and a member of the editorial team for that very first edition of the Warehouse Journal, which was released in 1992. 
He joined us in Whitehorse, Yukon. We have a special gift for you in honor of 30 years of the Warehouse Journal and the conclusion of the first season of Prairie Design Lab. Don't worry, we'll be back. We're doing a giveaway on the Faculty of Architecture Instagram page. Visit at FAU Manitoba for your chance to win a copy of the most recent edition, the 29th, which came out last fall. In the fillable box on Instagram, tell us what you love about Prairie Design Lab and... To help spread the word, tag a friend. And if you're so inclined, tell us about a story that we should tell in the next season in the lab. Feel free to enter as many times as you want. I'm Terry McLeod, your writer, producer, and host. For more information about us, visit our website at prairiedesignlab.com. You can find all of our 28 episodes on Spotify and Apple and Google Podcasts. If you like us, please subscribe and get caught up on the episodes that you might have missed. In the fall, Season 2 of Prairie Design Lab begins. Special thanks this season to UMFM at 101.5 FM in Winnipeg for airing this unique podcast on Wednesday mornings at 11.30. Thank you for listening and for helping to tell the story of the people who built the Faculty of Architecture at the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg. And an extra special thanks to Jason Chan, an instructor in the environmental design program in the faculty, without whom this podcast would never have come to be. He is a fountain of ideas. His creativity and deep knowledge of every student he has ever met was the key to our success. Thank you, Jay. I'm Terry McLeod. This is Prairie Design Lab. <laughs>